one of the things that Jesus always made sure to communicate and to live out was that even in spaces where you're taking personal time, where you're reflecting, um, considering, thinking, reorienting, um, confessing, the, the end point of that is outward. Jesus rested so he could pour it out again. Jesus grieved so that he could so that he could he could grieve with those who were grieving. He was always it was never about him. And we go sorely awry if our Christianity, our Christian disciplines even are strictly about our betterment. They are better. They are good for you. The spiritual disciplines are, are phenomenal for the human existence. But it's not for you. If, you're, if your Christianity devolves into practices and beliefs and, um, uh, and, and the sort that are just for you, you you're not even in the ballpark of what Christianity actually is. No, what we do personally is to have a, is to have an effect and an end point that is beneficial to others. And Jesus taught us that. Last week, if you happen to be here, we talked about the, the critical work of the Christian to be in the presence of God. The critical work of the Christian work to, to build upon the relationship that you have with Jesus, to, to, to connect with the Spirit, to, to come under the authority and, and, and to move into the love of the Father. Without that, there is no sense in trying to do the external work of Christianity. To, to divorce those two things is to do a complete disservice to the, the whole mission of God. The whole idea of the church. Of course, we have to first be. And then we do. The fruitless, dissatisfying Christian life is the one that is separated from the Spirit, separated from God, separated from the love of, and the grace of Christ. That is, that is a grind that is ultimately very disheartening and very disappointing. And if you're trying to find your way to the presence of God through the work, that doesn't work either. It doesn't work that way. We need to think about this. So we we talk about the presence of God. The question this week is, how does the presence of God, if we start there, connect with, because it does eventually connect with the purposes of God for our lives. How does that work? How does that connect? I'm going to start in John chapter 14, verse 15. And through this six weeks, we're looking at John 14, 15, and 16. I would encourage you to be in that space. John 14, 15, and 16. Here's John 14. Verse 15 says, if you love me, keep my commands. Pretty straightforward. Seven simple words. It's an incredible saying. 
But if you take it out of context, like I am doing right now, just putting that verse right in front of you, its, it's meaning is largely lost. Its depth and its inspiration are uh, completely missing. If you love me, you keep my commands. Because at face, at face value, this looks like a math equation. It looks very linear. It looks very if-then. If, if I were to ask you what that means, you would probably answer something in this space. If you consider yourself a Christian, if, if, if Jesus is, is, is your Savior, you'll do what he says. If you consider yourself one of mine, then you'll do what I say, is the way we interpret that. But I'd like to shed some light on that because there is much greater depth to this. And I will say this, grasping the, the deeper truth of what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying here, could open the door for you in some in very significant ways in terms of your connection with God and your sense of significance in doing what God would have you to do if, you can, if we can get this. I'm going to read a lot of scripture to you today. Lots of words. If you have a Bible, either physically or electronically, that has the letters of uh, uh, the words of Jesus in red, almost these entire three chapters are red. Red, red, red. Tons of Jesus words. Now, the reality is the, the form in which we have it, the letter, uh, the gospel according to John uh, that we have in, in, in our hands is predominantly based on something that was written and finished 40 or 50 years after Jesus had been uh, crucified and resurrected. It is, it is my opinion that John was working on this gospel for the rest of his life, decades after Jesus left. And I think these particular chapters were painstakingly difficult for him. Because if you read through them, there's a great deal of redundancy. There, there's a, there's a, you, can catch, you can see John just trying to capture this very deep truth, which I suspect was very easy for Jesus to put out there. But as John tried to recap it, to summarize it, to put it together for antiquity, you can see him just in some ways going circles to try to make this, make this point over and over and over and over again. We start in John, John chapter 14, verse 10. And this is Jesus. And he says, I do not speak on my own authority. Now, catch that. Jesus, the one in whom Scripture says all authority was given. You read in Colossians chapter 1, and Jesus is above all and in all and through all. And all things were created in him and all things hold together by him. If anybody could just say, hey, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. It's Jesus. And he would have been right. But he says, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, he says, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. The Father living in Jesus is doing the work of Jesus. Jesus is like, I, even I am dependent Upon this presence, upon this relationship, upon this, this space of, of being with the Father that moves into the space of doing. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. 
Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Can you see John talking to the other disciples? Is that what he said? Do you remember what he said? Did he say, I'm the Father and the Father's in me? Did he say it just like that? And they're like, yeah, that's exactly what he said. Why are you questioning it? I don't know. It just sounds, it's awkward. I am in him, the Father's in me. What does that mean? Well, that's what he said. Write it. Okay, so he writes it. He said, and then Jesus says, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. He says, when you look at the Father, you see me. When you see me, you see the Father. And we are the same. And we're the, the, the same outworkings too. So if you look at my life, you will see that it reflects everything that you've ever known to be true about God. Everything you read in the Torah, in the Old Testament, everything you read in, in, the, in, in, in that, and you see it, you can, you can tie it to me and you will see nothing different, the same. God is in me. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. And you can see that in the outworkings. You know how God created the heavens and the earth and the waters and the sky and the seas? Did you, have you seen me control it all? If you've seen those storms respond to my voice, you see the work of the Father is, is in me. But it's not me, it's him. We're in sync. Comes a little more clearly in 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. You start to see... The sentiment here is because of the believing, there is a doing. It's not, you've got this and then do that. It's like out of this comes the work. I am in the Father, the Father is in me, and you see the same works because of this synergy between us. Maybe you can remember certain people in your life that changed the character the content of your character, and even, even the direction of your life. Maybe you had a mentor, a teacher, a parent, or a spouse, or somebody in whom you believed and trusted. And you know that as a result of that relationship, the depth of that relationship, the belief in that person, your life started to take on their character, their direction. That's what we're talking about here. There are these few very precious things that can exist in a relationship upon which transformation happens. Not only in a human space, but in a spiritual space. And those things are things like trust, respect, character, right? When you truly trust someone, are you with me on this? When you truly believe in them, something that happens in really no other space happens in you. And that is a a willingness to yield. If someone comes along and says, you know, I know you're going to go that way, but I'm going this way and I think you should go this way. Are you going to do it? Only if you trust them, right? Only if you believe in them. Only if you see something within their character that draws you in and makes you go, yeah, I I love you. I love what I see here. I'm going that way. 
That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. If you trust me, if you believe in me, if you truly love me, you'll go the way I'm going. Just like I love the Father and my whole life reflects what he wants from me. Because I love him. I trust him. I'm under his authority. He is right and good and best and wise. Jesus is saying, if you believe believe in me, it's not, hey, you're in the Jesus club. Here's the rule book. Figure it out. Do those things. And then let me know how it goes. It's like, come on in. If I haven't overuse this metaphor I'm about to tell you, trust me, I will by the time I die. The tightrope across the deep, dark, endless cavern with the tightrope walker that says to the crowd who's come to watch him go across, says, I'm about ready to go. Do you believe I can do it? Yes. Yay, we we believe. Even if we don't, we're going to say we do because we want to see you walk across it. So he goes over and he comes back. Yay. I have a wheelbarrow full of bricks. Do you believe that I can walk across this tightrope with the wheelbarrow and come back? Yes, we believe. And he does it. Wow, that's awesome. Do you believe I can take these bricks out, put a person in here and take them across and back? Do you believe? Yes, we believe. Okay. Who's going to volunteer first? The one who believes. The one who really believes. The one who truly trusts that person would want to be in that. You want to stay here and just watch other people do it? Or do you want to get in with somebody you believe in can do it? If you believe, you'll be in the wheelbarrow. There's no question about that. And you will be doing the things of the tightrope walker. You'll be walker. You'll be right there. Jesus goes on, he says, and they will do even greater things than these. You, you will be doing even greater things than I am doing. I'm in the Father, the Father is in me, and the works that you see in me are because of the Father. I'm, you're going to do even greater works than mine. And now watch this kind of clunky but convincing integration of relationship that Jesus goes to now, right? He says, they're going to do even greater things. You, the church, right? Those who love me are going to do even greater things than what I am doing because I'm going to the father. That doesn't immediately compute, but I will do whatever you ask in accordance with my name so that the father might be glorified in the son. So I'm going to go, but anything you ask of me, I will give to you. But again, all for the purposes of glorifying the Father, which you need to work in my name, I will give to you. Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So I'm going to go, but you're going to be a part of this. And if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Right? If you're truly in this space, you're going to live it out even in greater ways than I do. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. You hear what Jesus is saying? I and the Father are one. I'm going to go. 
You can ask me whatever you want, and then I'm going to send you a spirit that's going to answer that request and provide all that you need. So the Father and I are the one. The Spirit's going to go. You're going to be one in the Spirit. The Spirit's going to live in you. It's part of God. We're all in this thing together. Jesus isn't going, I'm leaving. Now now keep doing what I did. No, he says, I'm leaving, and I'm pulling you in. He's not sending us as much as he is calling us into a space. He's not mandating and dictating on his way out everything that they have to do. He's saying, join me in this relationship. If you love me, keep my commands. I put some stuff on the screen because it's a little bit difficult to follow, and I can't see it. So um, if you love me, keep me, and then then show the Greek. I don't know what – do you see it? Let me walk over here close to the edge. Three words in particular that, that this is a reflection of that phrase right there in uh, Greek. Uh, agapate is uh, the root word agape. Some of you know that word. There are m- multiple words that mean love in Greek language. One of them pertains to sort of brotherly love. One pertains to uh, romantic love. And one pertains to a much deeper relational uh, depth and particularly between God and man. That's what's going on here. If you love me in the deepest way... Uh, and you keep my commands, but this word here means more than what we typically think it means by commands. Commands to us means things, ethical standards that we need to obey. But when Jesus talks about commands, he's talking not only about the action, but about why the command exists and what should happen as a result of the command. When Jesus talks about the command, he's talking about the whole thing. And the commands of Jesus are built and designed to bring about relationship with himself and the Father and the Spirit and the church and a unity and a togetherness and a bond. The commands are to build family, to build oneness, even amidst our our massive diversity, to be one. The commands are to help us be in sync and then together do the mission. So when he says you'll keep my commands, it, it means that you won't just do the stuff. You'll do the stuff so that what's supposed to happen will happen. So if you keep the commands, you are loving one another. You are living in unity. You're forgiving. You're apologizing. You're being merciful and graceful. And you are accomplishing the mission of God. That is what it means when Jesus says, keep my commands. And then the word keep, keep, actually about as close as you could get to the real meaning. Keep my commands. Keep them close. Embrace them. Believe in them. Guard them. Embrace them in their wholeness. To guard a command would be like this. If it says, uh, don't punch your brother. Okay. But to guard the command would be to guard the whole thing. Why not punch my brother? Oh, because it shows me that I'm angry in my heart and I've got a, I need to deal with that anger. I've got a habitual kind of blocking sin and I need the grace of God in my own life. And if I don't punch my brother, it, 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 I can just not punch him. But I need to deal with my heart. And then once I don't punch my brother, I don't just not punch my brother. We actually work together to do something for God in the world. That's what it means to guard the command. To not guard the command, in this case, would be to just have a list of rules that have real new, no real purpose, at least no purpose like what God intended. 
to guard the commands is to guard the whole meaning of the command. So if I was going to rewrite this verse, which I'm not suggesting I should, but I'm going to tell you to, to build it out a little bit. So look at this, this next phrase. We have new lights. It's literally blinding. Um, apparently, so you can see me better, which is very important. <clears throat> you can see I've peppered in what's in the verse. If you, in white, love me, can keep my commands. If I were to build it out based on what I just told you, it would be like this. Those who are part of this deep and abiding relationship of mutual love and existence, those who are a part of the Father is in me and I am in the Father and the Spirit is in you and the Spirit is in me and I am in the Spirit. Those of you that are in that relationship of mutual love and existence with the threefold me, that's what Jesus says. When he says me, he's talking about all of that. You will then bear the evidence of the preserving of preserving and the guarding and the keeping of my prescriptions for a full life. Well, that's different than you're in the Jesus club and there's some rules to follow. This is what John is trying to capture here in chapter 14. He goes on, the world cannot accept him. God, this is Jesus saying, the world can't accept God because it neither neither sees him nor knows him. But you know me. And remember, he's saying, and I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. And what you see me doing is what the Father's doing. So they don't know. They don't don't know. They're going to see him. But you know him because you know me. And I live with you. The world doesn't see him. They don't know him. But you know him because he lives with you in me. And he will be in you, again, by the Spirit. He's, he's, he's saying, look, I want you in this with me. Father, Son, Spirit, Church of God together. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Right? I'm not going to leave you and separate from you, and then have you figure it out. That's not what's going on here. The relationship is going to continue. And like we said last week, it is critical. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. He's telling them, I'm going to, my time has come. And they're not going to see me anymore. But even though they won't be able to see me anymore, you will be able to see me. And because I live, and we're one, you will live. Do you see? If you love me, isn't a brotherly love, it's not a, 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 a even really like an affectionate it is a all-in-together, deep, connected commitment, trust, and confidence. And because I live, our togetherness means you will live. On that day, you'll realize that I'm in the Father, and you are in me, and I am. You see, John, he's like just trying to get this. Do you get it? Like, even, even right now, you're like, Mike, we get it. Move on. 
And the reason John didn't move on and the reason I'm not moving on is because we got to get this. By the time John was 75 or 80 when he wrote this, he's, he knew from his life, he's like, i got to get this across. This is massive. Out of this deep, rich, relational connection between the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and the believers comes the mission. If you love me, if you are me, if you are with me and I am with you, if I am in you and you are in me, we will be doing what we do. You will be the mission of God. You will be the mission of God. If you live in that space, whoever has my commands and keeps them, is the one who loves me. Look, there, there it is, finally. It's the other way around. Jesus' words aren't, aren't the evidence of an expectation of obedience. Jesus isn't laying down an expo- expectation that people would be obedient, particularly. He is expecting that out of a place of relationship, there will be evidence. Our lives, when they are intertwined and integrated with God in the fullest sense, will be about the works of God. They cannot be separated. And then right in the middle, of all of this red scripture, all of these Jesus words, there's one statement from a disciple named Judas. Jesus just gets done with the the upshot here, and he says, the one who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And Judas, not Judas Iscariot, says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? A little side note, I'm going to tell you why I think it says not Judas Iscariot. It seems obvious because it says Judas says it, not Judas Iscariot. But on one level, who cares? Why not Judas Iscariot? This is my view, completely my view, just Mike. Because I think Judas Iscariot, the the one that betrayed, betrayed Jesus, was saying this kind of thing all the time. And finally, someone else said it. Follow me on this. Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Why aren't you showing yourself to the world, Jesus? I totally believe in you. I totally see the power in you. I totally see how the world needs you, but you keep slinking around in the shadows. You keep escaping. You keep telling us not to tell anybody. You've done these massive, amazing miracles, but you aren't stepping up onto the world platform, and you need to, and Judas has had enough, so he sells him out, says he's right over there, and what does Judas Iscariot expect, in my opinion, for Jesus to finally start doing what he can do. He didn't quite get it, 
But I think he totally believed in Jesus. And he's been saying, would you just tell the world? Would you just do it? Would you just knock them down? Would you just show your power? But for goodness sakes, would you show the world how powerful you are? And then finally, someone else says it. Why do you intend to show yourself to us, but not to the whole world? How is the whole world going to know, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life if you don't show them? How will the world know this radical, inf- this radical reformation of life as we know it? How will they know about it? How will they know about you and the Father and peace and love and purpose and eternity? How are they going to know if you just show yourself to those who are already in? How will the rest of the world find their way into this cosmic relationship and mission of God? How will they get in there? It's a great question, right? We have this question. Why doesn't God just show himself to the whole world? Jesus says, anyone who loves me is going to obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And, you know, all of them are like, we know, we hear that. We're together. We get it. We're living in the same home. Anyone who does not love me is not going to obey my teaching. Anyone who doesn't love me who's not in, their life is not going to reflect it. These words you hear, I remind you, are not my own. They belong to the father. Look, this isn't my idea. I am doing Listen to this. Jesus is saying to them, I am doing exactly what I'm asking you to do. The Father is directing my life. He's asked me to lay it down. I'm laying it down. Even to the point of death. Even when I have the power to do something about it, he is saying, lay it down. Listen, he says this. I've spoken all of this while I'm still with you. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I've said to you. I'm going to give you peace, like real peace, uh, not like the world gives. Um, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. Listen, you heard me say it, but let me tell you again, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back to you. In the context, that's the spirit. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back to you in the spirit because the father and I are one and the spirit are one. I'm going to go, but the spirit's going to come. And if you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to go be with the Father because that's where I belong. The Father is greater than I. And I have told you all of this now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. Well, when what happens? Well, the crucifixion and Easter. I'm telling you that I'm going to be completely obedient in a way that is unimaginable for human life. I'm going to give up my whole life in an unjust situation. When I have the power to stop it, I'm going to lay it down for one reason. God's telling me to do it. Jesus probably wouldn't say this, but we could say this. It doesn't make sense. But God told me to do it. And he's the boss. And we are one. And I love him. And I want to go this way. And he says, go this way. I say, take this cup for me. He says, you're going to drink that cup. And I say, okay. It's a deference. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing exactly what I'm asking you to do. I'm not going to say much more. This is Jesus. I'm not going to say much more. This is probably when the music team was coming up. And he's like, hey, I got, I got more time. <clears throat> I will not say much more to you. 
Listen, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Satan's going to come into this space. Darkness is going to orchestrate some things and it's going to go down really, really badly for me. But he's not in control. God is in control. He has a plan. I'm following it. What's Jesus saying to Judas and to all the disciples and to you and to me? Judas, the rest of the world is going to see this in two ways. One, it's going to be historic what happens to me. I'm going to be dead for three days and then I'm going to not be dead anymore. It's incredible. I'm going to lay down my life because that's what God asked me to do. And if you love me, if you're part of this relationship, if I'm in you and you're in me and you trust me and you believe in me and you believe in the Father, you're going to do the same thing. And that's how the world's going to know, Judas. That's how the world's going to know, Vista. How's the world going to know, Jesus, if you don't do it? Oh, I'm going to do it. And some are going to see it. But what the world's going to see is my church. The ones who love me will live the same way. They will live their life in a way that confounds reason. Believing is becoming right? When you believe, when you trust, you become like what you believe and trust in. Believing is becoming And becoming in Christ is dying for the sake of others. And dying for the sake of others is keeping and doing the commands in the fullest sense of the word. Jesus doesn't come to give us a bunch of things to do. Jesus comes so that we can be like him and reflect the merciful, sacrificial heart of God to the world who needs to see it. So let me ask you to join us in this space of leaning in first to this place of trust and belief and knowing Jesus. Pick up that devotional, spend a little time in it, Open John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Spend a little time in it. Pray along with the rest of the church together on Wednesday morning. Join in worship on Thursday. Attend on Sunday. God, thank you for the invitation of your son. The invitation from you yourself to invite us first into a space of knowing you. Help us to trust you, God, to believe in the Son. As we know, we know that the more we trust, the more we believe, 
you promise the more we will know you, the more we will follow you, and the more we will point to you with our very lives. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.